we are live. Hey, we're live. What do you know? Well, welcome to the Tech, tech Chat Tuesday. I will never say that right, Sujan. I will never say Tech Chat Tuesday right, except now. You can come up with something different every week. That's all good. Tuesday of Chat with Tech in it. Uh, it's Tuesday, June 1st, uh, 2021. I'm Ken Rimple. I'm Snooge Doggy Dog, also known as Sujan Kapadia. Oh, okay. Hey, everyone. What's up? Um, so, <laughs> hey, so first of all, before we get started, uh, a little bit of housekeeping. We are Chariot Solutions. We are hiring. Uh, we're looking for good full stack engineers and data engineers. Uh, if you go to ChariotSolutions.com, you can see our website. And in there, there's an about, uh, which will, you know, get into like hiring things like that, uh, who we are, careers. But also we have a blog and we do a lot of writing on our blog and and it's been there for plus 15 years. Um, we have a, a new article. We, we recently launched um, something called Journal My Health, which is for tracking symptoms uh, and it's a mobile application. So uh, Tracy Wilson Rossman and the team has been blogging about that. So talking about how that app works and what it's used for. So if you're interested in how we launched a product, um, you could check that out. We also yeah. have a lot of information, just general tech. Sue, do you want to say something? Sorry. Not saying uh, def definitely uh, check that app out if you or you have friends or family, anyone suffering from um, COVID-19 symptoms or anything else. It's, it's pretty cool in the sense that the idea is um, writing down, you know, your symptoms and how you're feeling day to day and, and noting that down, essentially uh, getting a journal of things happening um, and tracking that against other health metrics and then exporting that out. The idea being that you can hand that information to your um, primary care physician or whoever is working with you and they can use that to better inform, you know, what, what things should be done and whether there's changes that occur. And, um, you know, I think it's a really good idea. Uh, and I think that the, the export feature is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, check it out. And then we also have, um, if you go to our YouTube channel, just this chariot solutions, if I can type it with an S. Uh, tons and tons of information there. Again, dating back, you know, over 10 years of content. Um, a lot of really good stuff. Soon, in about a month, I think, we'll have the ETE 2021 stuff online. I'm, hey, digging, I'm seeing the video, we're, the stream we're doing now, and reminding me of Spaceballs when they're watching the movie in the movie. <laughs> We've gone to plaid. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> well, anyway, ChariotSolutions.com at YouTube, uh, YouTube, uh, Chariot Solutions, that, that is. And we have a playlist there, uh, uh, the uh, Philly ETE Super Playlist, which will be updated again with all of our talks in about a month uh, for public. If you've, if you've attended ETE, check out your email. There should be an invite there for the private videos until we make them released to the public. Just a ton of stuff there. But anyway, we're here to talk about tech news. And so let's start off. Um, Sujan, I will admit, uh, you've got most of the good news articles this week. Um, but let's talk about the Raspberry Pi Silicon. So RP2040, what, what is that? So RP2040 is their own chip. So this is Raspberry Pi's own design chip, their first one. Um, it's a pair of uh, Cortex M0 Plus cores. 264K of RAM and more flexible I.O. when it comes to, I guess, uh, input output and, and integration capabilities. It's two millimeters square on 40 nanometer silicon. Um, anyway, it's only $1. Uh, as, so as you can guess, it sold out very fast. Um, okay. The whole point of making it available in single unit quantities was to basically help makers um, get chips because of the chip shortage going on. 
it's really hampering uh, makers' efforts to build things, uh, prototype things. So they're like, hey, why don't we sell this as uh, individual single units instead of volume uh, selling and maybe help out these smaller makers? But it sold out so fast. I don't know when it's going to be available again. I haven't checked on it, so I'll, I'll be checking on that. And I'll probably report back on the next time we uh, have a tech chat. You know what? Do you want one? Mine is sitting on my desk. I realized that's the one I bought about three months ago for a buck at Micro Center. Same chip. Same chip. Same exact one. Okay. It's, it's the, the Pico. Or, yeah. Okay. What's cool? Yeah, it's the it's the Pico, and it's really cool because uh, it it like the the onboard programming on it's really easy. Okay. So I believe Python is Python? one of the native options. Okay, so were you using MicroPython? Yeah. Okay. Just got the light to flash. I'm like, okay, put that aside. Then I had actual work to do. Flashing lights, that's all that matters. Flashing light made me happy. So, you know, what can I say? Anyway, if you can get a hold of one, do it. Otherwise, they're going to be like 15 bucks or something like that or 20 bucks. So, uh, you know, when you finally get a hold of one, um, you know, could be worth it. Yeah, I mean, it was nice that they did this and kind of democratized. Hopefully, like, I don't know if they were limiting who, how many any one uh, buyer could could buy but you know i guess it's better to sell it individually versus like one company buying all of them up in one fell swoop yeah yeah definitely cool code crafters programming yeah, this, challenges this is like an individual developer um we'll have to go to the about page so we can make sure we give credit sure. where credit's due absolutely um, so scroll down if you don't mind um uh, trying to remember who this was here keep going hey does this guy want to be uh give me credited hold on <laughs> apparently not <laughs> there is on one of the pages let me let me find it uh anyway so while while we're looking for that this is an interesting thing so i'm sure folks are you know aware of coding challenges coding exercises things like euler um coding katas this is coding challenges but it's taking on something larger where you're building from the ground up existing services or applications or platforms so um, this seems to be something in beta early access. I think there may be a pricing business model behind it. Um, eventually, let me go to the, the page. But their, their first one that they're fleshing out right now is, uh, why can't I find this link? Is it not on the run? Oh, codecrafters.io. Okay, so it's codecrafters.io. And their first one is build your own Redis. Uh. Building from the ground up something like Redis, which for those that don't know it is, you know, a cloud-based, uh, cloud-native, you know, clustered, uh, distributed caching. So like, if you're familiar with Memcached, this is like that, except that it has a lot more operations and data structures, um, like sets, lists, maps, and, and constructs and primitives around that um, to do things like consensus, uh, things like your, you know, shopping cart or set, you know, session information, um, et cetera. A lot of uses for distributed hash maps. So they're building this from the ground up, you know, building a TCP server, building a message event loop, building the Redis protocol. And uh, I don't know if there's any other ones available except this one yet. It's interesting. They're counting the number of attempts here. 248 attempts have been made to build mm. this. Different languages are supported, Python, Ruby, Go, Rust, Java, et cetera. So it's pretty cool. And let me, I have to find this person. Yeah. Make sure. This is like building in computer science. It was building your own operating system was a big deal. You know, we yeah. learned all the different things you had to do for parsing and compilation and tokenizing and everything else and memory management and, you know, same kind of thing. You're learning a lot of the basics of services, which is great. There we go. Okay. So the person, um, if you go to, I'm going to just slack you the, the link, Ken. Sure. Rohit Paul is his name. Okay. Um, his own website, rohitpalk.com. And 
We're flying over here. Drum roll. Yeah, don't worry. I, I can't pull up the, the window. There's a whole long technical reason. Oh, wait, here we okay. go. I got it. I got it. Rohit Paul oh, no, K. Yeah, rohitpaulk.com. Here he is. So he's, he's, cool. he's a consultant himself, and mm-hmm. he's he's interested in teaching software development and helping other folks. So he's taking on a larger challenge of, you know, not, nothing small, but like if you look at the other stuff that's down the pike, and right now it's Redis, but they want to get React, um, Docker. So <laughs> it's so funny. Docker versus React. It's like it's an insane level of complexity to building your own virtualization yeah. platform. And React is really, yeah. really ambitious. Um, so I'm going to keep my eye on this because yeah. this is really cool and be interesting to see what kind of attempts are being made and how far folks get and, and what the feedback is. So I'll keep my eye on this. Um, I, you know, I, I really hope I kids in- he opens it up to support by the community because he's taken oh, on yeah. some big things here. So unless he has a lot of source material to start with, or he's taking the open source code from these projects and using that and like, you know, fill it parts of it, use parts of existing things. I don't know what his approach is. So I have to do more research around this, but definitely, definitely interested in this. Could be a good way for folks to uh, learn some low level stuff. As an educator, and I use the term loosely because I'm an I, I teach people things, but I'm not like a professor. Um, I think you learn a lot more from your mistakes than you do from your successes too. So it's like, even I, I think of this as like, it would be great for people to attempt this kind of thing as students in, in universities. Yeah, absolutely. Get a study group together. If you're in a university and you're like, Hey, let's, let's hack around and build our own Git. you know? Um, even if you fail, you know, what goes into this, the complexity of one of these things. And it makes you appreciate more what's happening under the covers and, and how things are working um, and just approaches. So this is a great idea. Yeah, so Rohit, all all the best, more power to you. This is a really cool thing you're taking on. Right on. Okay, Solar Winds. So this is by Jill Desis and Zahid Mahmoud um, on CNN Business. Uh, Microsoft says Solar Winds hackers have struck again at the U.S. and other countries. (laughs) What what now? So if if folks remember the Solar Winds attack some time back, still fresh in my memory because of how it was orchestrated. It's, it's amazing in a bad way, right? In a scary, yeah. shocking, creepy way. But it seems like the same uh, hacker group um, allegedly out of Russia, you know, we don't know, so alleged, uh, has performed a new global cyber attack on more than 150 government agencies. Uh, Microsoft has reported this. They said at least a quarter of the targets this week um, were involved in international development, humanitarian, and human rights work across 24 countries. So it's sad, right? These seems to be they're targeting companies that are doing good things and helping the world. Um, and it's sad to see that uh, you know whether they're state-supported actors or not are trying to cause harm to organizations that are really trying to do good. Are probably in a lot of cases uh, nonprofits. Um, uh, it says that the attack was launched by gaining access to a constant contact email marketing account. I don't know what constant contact is. It's, yeah, here. it's like an email blast tool, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd never heard of it before. Sounds like you're familiar with it. Cool. It's been around for a long time. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so maybe it's, it's like it's like content man it's like a contact management is what it is. Okay. So it's a way of like, you know, sending emails to all the people you have in your contact list and and curating contact lists and sharing them. It's 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 an older tool. So uh, it's been yeah, around I, a long time. Unravel that more it scares me to, to some email marketing account with 
account was the was the attack vector. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's scary. Um, so let's see here. We have the next one is Intel reiterates chip supply shortages could last several years. Yeah, post by MS Mash on Slash.org, and I'm sure there's an article related to it. Let's see here. No, it's just the page itself. Go ahead. Um, yeah, this is a problem. This yeah, is a big problem. I mean, it, it, it's definitely a Intel saying that this is going to be for the whole year. You know, don't expect it to, to die down after summer. We're going to have a shortage for a while. It's going to take a few years for, you know, domestic manufacturing to, to spin up and be able to supply at the levels that we need. So shortages are going to be here for a while. Spikes in prices are going to be here for a while. Um, I think we're going to see this across the supply chain, right? Chip, chips is the one thing, but then everything that depends on those chips. So there's second, third order effects for yeah. having the chip shortage that I think we're going to be feeling the pain for uh, for quite some time to come. I think I, what I was reading some comments on this and maybe Hacker News and some people feel that this is a, an attempt or a way like, you know, Intel's really telling the government this is a big problem. And they basically, I, is, you know, want to receive funding from the federal government to be able to spin up this manufacturing and build these chips, which, you know, it'll definitely help Intel at a time where they've been hurting a little bit because of Apple's Silicon and M1 and, and the fallout from that and ARM-based chips and, and NVIDIA and all, the, all these other things that are happening um, at light, you know, at lightning speed while Intel's kind of been glacial in terms of their incremental improvements over the years. So I, I hope that the government does you know, focus some of their their uh, funding on this because I think it's important domestically to have um, this kind of stuff in house and not have to be dependent on a lot of other suppliers. So anyway, I think we're going to be seeing this new normal for a while. Uh, one of our consultants, Drew Rogers, is telling me that you know uh, a local company, or I, I guess they're across the U.S. Micro Center, um, they're like the you know the new Radio Shack, the Shack of the 21st century for folks that are geeks and into tech. But he says in the morning. There's like two hour long lines because folks are waiting to buy graphics cards because they're very expensive and very hard to come by these days. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the big question for me is what it's going to take to get a fab, for example, approved in the United States because you have to go through all sorts of, you know, licensing and you got all the, all the, all the things that the local governments have to do to approve it and whether people will be questioning the chemicals coming in so it'll be interesting to see from the political angle of it what what it's going to take to actually get um fab and and chip manufacturing production back in the u.s again yeah. hopefully it doesn't have too many roadblocks and hopefully it can be done in a way that's safe um but we need we need local manufacturing in, in the u.s you know the biggest concern i have in general is the supply chain it always has been just in time as much as possible for all sorts of parts and components and you know, this was triggered a lot by people working from home and everyone having to have an upgraded computer or, you know, just upgrading their systems. So that was a, one of the contributing factors too. Maybe this is like a big explosive growth that's going to settle down now. Uh, but yeah, we should we should make more of the things we use for sure. I think it's hard to keep the cost down, but it's going to be interesting to see where it goes, you know? Yeah. All right. Um so you found a neat little utility site uh, called Outline. Yeah. So I don't know if there's a company behind this or a, a single developer or a team of developers that haven't actually looked into that. But the, the idea is you put a URL in 
mm-hmm. it tries to get rid of a lot of the cruft and ads and all that kind of stuff and just focus on the text. And I guess it tries to um, summarize to some degree. And I don't. It doesn't generate new text. It just takes excerpts from an existing page. So it's not trying to. As far as I can tell, is I don't think it's trying to semantically understand what's being um, talked about, written about in the article, and then and then summarize it. Um, maybe that's an eventual goal for this. Um, I was hoping that it would actually be like an outline format where you get like you know top level points, and then if you want to learn a little bit more, you could expand those to get the details underneath. It's not like that really. Um, mm. So it leave something to be desired, but hopefully, you know, they're trying um, and they're just gathering more and more data and maybe doing some machine learning in the background to get more information. So the outlining can get better and better. So I had high hopes for it. Didn't meet my expectations, but um, I'm going to keep trying it every once in a while because it could certainly be useful for um, if I'm gathering show notes, if I can take each article and run it through this and just have that um, on the side when I'm talking, that would be super useful to me. Yeah, I'm looking at, at like the comparison of like just a random article I clipped yeah, earlier. Yeah, I, I did the same, and I yeah. didn't see much of a difference in terms of the actual raw content was the same. If anything, well, it gets rid of all the ads and cruft around the sides, which I could really do without um, when I'm trying to focus on something, having an ad scroll into view. And of course, you could do that with an ad blocker. Yeah, but so if I'm, maybe if I'm doing like offline browsing and I, I run yeah. stuff through this and save those pages, the the – the stuff that comes out of outline is more easily savable because there's no, you know, less images and stuff like that. So, um, you know, great effort, valiant effort. I mean, I think the goal is, is, is worthwhile. So hopefully they, they can keep working on it. This is like, to me, it's like pocket, you know, pocket does the, the pocket version of, of, the, of your article and you can view the web page and it strips all the extra. I mean, the one thing I don't like is the, just the, little critique here is they have a nice little colored colorized style sheet here for the code snippets and and that just gets stripped away yeah so you know i guess more for the black and white reading um yeah okay so it's definitely something to check out this kind of thing I, I agree like digesting stuff and getting rid of all the junk around it while you're reading it uh is is a nice a nice thing i don't to think have. we're i don't think we're far from AI that can intelligently understand parts of an article and then summarize it when Google IO, which you know, we can talk about later, but they yeah. had an experimental conversational thing called Lambda, L-A-M-D-A, um, that was like creepy good in certain use cases in, in being completely conversational independently on its own. And huh. that's just what they've been working on for the last several years. I can't imagine the next 10 years what they come out with. Yeah, situational understanding, right? Very cool. All right. I threw this in here just because it drives me crazy, all the different ways you can do different types of stylings of components. And I would not call myself a superstar designer in any way, shape, or form of a programmer first. Um, but you know, there's a whole bunch of ways of rendering buttons, right? And and getting buttons to look like, is it a button? Is it a div that looks like a button? Is it a, 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 a link that happens to be styled like a button, et cetera? So an interesting thing here, like, you, you know, you've got the standard HTML5 button. They do the, you know, the, the plus and, and minuses or the details of all these things, the input button, the image button, you know, uh, it's a div. <laughs> Apparently not a good idea because semantically it doesn't act like a button when a reader or something looks at it, doesn't know what to do with it. Um, you know, it looks wrong with a hover, you know, for example, it doesn't really let you have an action on it. So this is kind of nice to see all these different goofy ways that people 
uh, do buttons and what's good and bad. A focusable div, um, again, not really a button, but it looks cool, except if you look for the cursor, um, et cetera. So a lot of people do different things, don't they? Yeah, I love that if you go back to the top of the page, Yeah, I love to be... Do you need a button for your next project? It sounds like, hey, hire a button consultant. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I need one, I know where to go now. Buttonsheetsheet.com. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it gets worse from there, right? The worst of two worlds. A button with an AAHREF in it. <laughs> are they all any patterns or are there any positive patterns? To I think the positive one is like plain old HTML5 button. <laughs> right? Just use the darn button. Okay. <laughs> uh, I guess an input. But, you know, like I know there's different frameworks that do like you know, a hyperlink as a button. And I guess a placeholder link, the role is wrong, doesn't have key events. It's not keyboard focusable. So probably the button's better than a div or an, uh, or an A. So there we go. <laughs> Anywho, I thought that would be funny for people. Hey, speaking of funny for people, Sublime Text has a new version out. Um, yeah, now it's been version three for a while, probably two years. I'm thinking maybe more. Um, I and use it heavily. I haven't used it in a long time. I used to use it all the time. I still yeah. throw it on a computer because I know when I just want to open a random folder, I don't like firing up. Well, I didn't like firing up visual studio code, but now I have an M one Mac and it's ungodly fast, no matter what I have it do. So I might just use visual studio codes code shortcut for my editing now, but, um, yeah. you know, anyway, here's the thing. Um, when you bought a license that used to be an unexpiring license, right? So if I buy it for Sublime 3, I've got a, a license for whenever. Um, they now have uh, three years, I believe, of updates for a license. The upgrade is $70. The full price is $80. So it feels like it's just, I should go back and look at the pricing before what they did, but it seems like that's an expensive upgrade to me for an editor that's just a, a good general purpose editor. That said, it's probably one of the best editors you can buy if you're going to pick up an editor and get things done. If it's not a code editor, if it's a good utility tool belt editor, okay. I still don't think their um, plugins, uh, they haven't kept pace with what IDE plugins have been able to do. Like, you know, really good TypeScript inspection and really sure. good, you know, like compilation of Java, for example, um, it's it's much more of a general purpose, powerful editor that way. And if you have to deal lots and lots of different files, it's it's search and replace cross files is really good too. Yes. So anyway, just want to let you know, four is out. If you upgrade, your license is no longer valid. So just be prepared that if you had a nice Sublime 3 license, you now don't have a license for four. That's fun. But that's okay. I'm grouchy. Yeah, I've been using Visual Studio Code for coding stuff and I used Atom for a while, but I don't know, it kept crashing on me it's and used a lot of resources. So I stopped using Atom. Maybe I'll have to take a look at Sublime text again. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. But but on a on a uh, side note here, like it's so ridiculously fast on the M1 Mac to fire up something if it's built for uh, the ARM chip. So I literally don't have a I don't have a bounce on my desktop when it launches Visual Studio Code. Now I click it and it goes, ding, and I'm thinking, You're really oh my God. It. what's that? You're yeah. really rubbing it in. I brought it with me today to do the podcast because I have a, a laptop for my current client. And I'm like, well, I got to do the podcast and I should do it on this machine. Uh, and uh, I said, you know what? Let's let's throw Docker on it. And I, I was I firing up Docker images in like a second and a half. I'm like, this is insane. So maybe, you know, Visual Studio Code's the right editor for me. I don't know. Going forward. Hey, what's going on with Voyager? I saw this article too. So we're getting into interstellar space now. What's it detecting? 
Yeah, so I think it's like I think it's at fourteen and a half billion miles out now, billion with a B. That's a long so, yeah, There's a space junk, I mean Voyager one floating out there at thirty-eight thousand miles per hour. And it's outside of this thing called the heliopause, which mm -hmm. I guess it exited in twenty twelve, which is like this protective bubble that our sun um provides. Conveniently, you know, the planets in the solar system are protected from like solar flares and radiation and other stuff, I guess, from this protect, protective magnetic bubble or whatever it is, um, which in itself is very like, oh, wow, that's so convenient <laughs> that the sun yeah. protects all the planets around it. Um, well, Voyager's out of that now. And not only is it out of that, but it's an interstellar space, which is not really a vacuum. Um, there are gases and materials and things like that in space. And it's picking up. Um, solar winds from other stars now not just from our own star and i guess that's like gets translated to a faint hum some mm. narrow frequency band that voyager's detecting and sending back so i mean the fact that this thing is still around still floating 14 and a half billion miles out sending some information back um and that they can actually use to learn about interstellar space is just mind-boggling to me um, yeah, we'll, we'll post the link for this. It's the, the, the articles on earthsky.org by Kelly Kaiser Witt. It's called Voyager 1 Detects a Hum in Interstellar Space. That is really cool. Um, it's amazing to think that we've actually like pierced the heliopause with, with these things. And these are the, the first two things that ever leave our solar system that we created. Yeah. You know, so by the, 20, you know, by, by the 23rd century, when we're doing this podcast again, you know, we'll be talking. <laughs> Talking about the enter Enterprise encountering this alien object, V'ger. V'ger. Decker. Okay, anyway, sorry. That's for anyone who ever watched that movie. Um, cool. All right, where are we here? Uh, Google I.O. So, yeah, Google I.O. happened, and I must admit, I had not paid much attention to it. I know we were we we're discussing it the, the day uh, we talked about it. I didn't realize it even was going on. So, um what is happening? I know they lost like uh, some big uh, phone manufacturer recently. Um, I forget who it was, but there was one of the biggest manufacturers no longer is creating Android phones. But beyond that, what's been going on at Google? I know they've been really pushing into cloud services. So how are things going over there? So Android 12 beta one is out. And one of the big things with Android 12 is like a major facelift of their theming, their widgets, they're going to be introducing a thing called Material U, where I guess you can customize a lot more of the look and feel and color. And there's going to have a utility where you can basically take a photo and it'll try to determine kind of the you know the the, the color palette off of that, and then um, all you know set set the rest of your you know icons, background, etc., themes according to that color palette. Um, so it just seems like Android's getting more and more UX love. Um, more customizations, again, more more uh, control of privacy settings, things like that. Um, Wear OS um, is going to be doing more with Samsung and Fitbit. Um, so it seems like Google's now, like Wear OS kind of was stagnant for a while and just lingering out there. Um, Google's trying to put more effort behind it again. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of smartwatches come from Google and from other people like uh Samsung and Fitbit. I, I don't have a smartwatch myself. I haven't jumped onto that bandwagon yet. I, this weekend, I, you know, I, everyone I was around had smartwatches and constantly like checking their watch and a little thing happened. They look up and 
I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't need that extra noise in my life right now. I don't, I don't want to be looking at my wrist every five seconds. I don't know. What are your thoughts on smartwatches? You know what you can do? You can get your smartwatch set up so it can track your mileage for walking the dog. And then you can leave your smartwatch uncharged on the nightstand every morning and forget it and forget to get your mileage in, even though you actually watched or walked it rather. So um, that's been my problem is like, sometimes I'm really into the watch and sometimes I think it's great. Um, most times I keep forgetting to put it on. <laughs> so I always bring my phone with me, but for a while I thought it was cool because you could do payments from the watch. So you can like put the watch up against the, the payment thing instead of pulling out your wallet, uh, in your phone. Um, so it's like, it's, it's use as like a, a notification device and like an extension for things like single, you know, authorization tools is nice, but also I'm old now. So like I have to stretch my arm 10 feet to see it or have my glasses on. So yeah, yeah, whatever. yeah I'm, not sold cool. on the, I'm not sold on the idea yet. The fitness stuff is interesting. I, we bought my daughter a, uh, it's like only 30, 40 bucks. It was a, like a, a VTech. Yeah. It's called a Zoom watch, this mm-hmm. pink touchscreen, and you can download free apps for it. Anyway, it has a step counter on it. I told her about it, and that got her motivated, and we we walked. I think it was like Monday morning or, you know, yeah, Monday morning. Um, So it got her to walk longer and and not whine That's about cool. walking to the park and walking back home. The walk mm-hmm. back is always, I dread because she, she, she's nine, but she's still like, can you, sometimes like we get closer, can you pick me up for a few minutes or can we stop? And I'm like, let's just know. It's like a goal for 2000 steps and she got close to it and she was all motivated. So I'm like, all right, win. Right. I, anyway, I will I, say that. Sorry. Go that? Ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say the, uh, so the Apple watch, the one thing it does really well is if I'm swimming, which I'm terrible at, but I do for exercise when the pool opens up in the summer. Um, it is really good at tracking your distance. So, okay. so I use it for that. So all summer I'll probably have it charged up and ready to go because it'd be motivator for me to see how well I'm doing for that. But for walking the dogs, I keep forgetting it every time. I'm like, and I didn't bring it in today. So like, what good was it? You know, oh, well. you should just like <clears throat> you should uh, attach it to your dog's uh, collar or whatever. The dog has oh. an Apple Watch, and then let it free and <laughs> let it run around. Yeah. So, okay. So back to Google. I, there's a, let's see what else. So I would highly uh, check out, there's a section in this article, meet Lambda, A-L-M-D-A, your new digital friend, but it's this highly conversational language model that built on top of Google's neural network architecture called transformer. Um, This one is trained on dialogue and it can engage in free flowing conversations. Oh, that's cool. On pretty much any topic. Obviously there's some topics that will probably, perform better at than others and you'll get a lot of nonsensical or even creepy responses. Um, <laughs> but it's a work in progress. And from what I, what I saw um, on the keynote, the demo they gave was really like, holy shit. Like this is, this is something, this is something else. This is something out of science fiction and it's only going to get better. If you think about it, the thing that's been missing from all these is state of the conversation, right? Like you can ask a question of Siri, uh Oh, uh, or something else, uh, you know, kind of like it. And you can ask your questions and it, it might remember the last thing you asked it to do for the next thing you're going to do. Like, can you play that song or whatever? Um, but it doesn't have like a conversation it's engaging in, you know? And that seems like that's half of the battle with this stuff is just knowing that they've got a presence of state of what's going on and what the person is asking about. And then that it can kind of iterate. That's super cool. That's what's you- really been missing. Do you remember Alice from the 90s? No. It was a chat, it was a chat bot. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was it Alice? Yeah, AL Artificial Linguistic Internet Computer Entity. Oh, I was thinking really, really long ago there was another one, like a therapist one, uh, that, that, that was like a joke one. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but okay, so Alice was a, a, a further iteration on that concept, probably, right? Yeah. So I, I mean, it didn't perform that well, right? But it, it yeah. was, pretty, it was pretty, pretty cool for back in the day. Really want to see what comes out of this. That's very cool. So is it going to be built into anything, or they're just, they're, they're they're thinking about it right now? Like uh, I, I think they're just thinking about it right now, and you know, eventually it'll. Pro I'm sure it'll power behind the scenes. It may already be powering certain things, and I'm sure that they'll use it not just for conversation, but if anything, you know, probably all their technology about how do we improve search results and get ads to you that are more specific. So maybe some of the language model things in here will help with understanding web pages, right? And understanding yeah. your queries and so making that better. Um, but that's really cool. The, the other thing I want to talk about, there's a, too many updates to really get into. Yeah, um, right. Another thing called Project Starline, the future of video conferencing. It is a 3D imaging um, for video calls. So apparently it uses multiple cameras and depth sensors to try to recreate a more realistic 3D um, image of the person you're speaking with. And they're using it in a few places within Google offices right now. And I guess the initial feedback is it it makes the, the person feel like the person they're talking to is right there with them. Like a hologram um, so, or something. Huh? Yeah. So I, I don't know enough about it. I want to read more on it and, and see, but just you know, like think about that and then the language model above and all the, yes, it's the convert. The, the thing, the, the convergence of all these things is is, is going to be something either amazing or very frightening. Yeah, right. They know everything about you too, <laughs> based on everything you do. Yeah. And so uh, I think the browser. Yeah. The other, there's a lot of other stuff, but I guess finally one thing is Flutter 2.2 came out, mm -hmm. um, and that keeps on gaining more and more traction. There are more and more Android apps in the Google Play Store and Google's own apps that are built using Flutter. Um, so I think it's getting to, it's not a critical mass yet, but I think it's like getting there where it's going to be their de facto platform language, um, you know, widgets library for building mobile apps and potentially even, you know, uh, desktop web applications. I've heard that latter thing too many times from, from many technologies. So I don't know yeah. if that's ever going to pan out, but I think for mobile, it's, is a serious contender. It'd be interesting to see whether we, we get further and further away long-term from the classic single page app that everyone's been building, you know, like people doing react are now doing, uh, you know, the, the server rendered react a lot and, you know, server rendered angular and things like that. And, um, you know, people are kind of breaking out of just the monolithic single page app these days. So yep. be curious to see if people start replacing it with flutter as, as an option, certainly. Okay. And so this article is from XDA developers.com. Uh, it doesn't have a byline, but, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, a good site in general. I've been on that site before looking at that stuff and I think that's it, right? I think we hit everything. Okay. Yep. So anyway, if you want to leave us feedback, we are at TechCast uh, on Twitter, or you can email techcastfeedback at chariotsolutions.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can check us out. We're doing every other week over the summer. Uh, and uh, we'll be back in two weeks. So for the Tech Chat Tuesday, I'm Ken. I'm Sujan Kapadia, and I just want to mention that uh, Chariot Solutions, the company we work for, software consulting firm in the Philly region. We're hiring senior software engineers, Java, Python, Node, um, AWS. We're hiring mobile engineers, uh, Android, Kotlin, iOS, Swift. 
Um, we're also hiring data engineers. So um, although we're in the Philly region, we're expanding and you know we're interested in remote um, engineers as well. So if you're interested, want to learn more, you know, reach out to me or Ken or check out our website and, um, and reach out to us through the website. Yep. Cherry Solutions slash careers or on our about page, you'll find a link for that as well. All right. Make it a good week. See everybody. Thank you. Take care.